the most important question every human faces is what will you do with Jesus? What will you believe about who he is and how will you respond to what he has done? That question is the most important question we all face. Well, today in our face-to-face encounter with Jesus, we're going to explore Jesus' encounter with Pilate. And what we see is that there's far more going on behind the scenes than what Pilate is aware of. It's a lot like this statue here in Prague. This is a statue of Frantisek Palaki. He is one of the heroes of the nation, one of the fathers of the Czech nation. In fact, you're familiar with his face. You've seen it quite a few times if you live here in Prague because it's his face on the 1,000 crown note. Well, Frantisek Palaki is portrayed here sitting on his seat there where he's making decisions that will help shape the nation. But as you see in the portrayal of the statue, there's far more going on that he can't see. Behind him, there's a struggle. On either side, it's depicted a religious allegory of a battle between heaven and hell. Even in the birth of a nation, it's recognized by the artist's interpretation that far more is going on behind the scenes than just what the father of the nation can see. This statue reminds me of Pilate because behind the scenes, there's a battle between heaven and earth going on and there's a battle going on within his own heart and soul. He's wrestling with the question personally, as well as as the governor, as to what he will do with Jesus. So let's go to the scripture. Let's examine this story and see how it can apply to you and I. Because ultimately, we all have to answer that question. What will we do with Jesus? Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. 
everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Well, let's begin with some background information on Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the fifth person to be procurator or governor of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. He was appointed by Tiberius Caesar in the year 26 AD, and he would hold the position for 10 years. Up until Pilate, however, the procurator only possessed military power over the region that he ruled, and his superior, the legate of Syria, took care of all the civil affairs. However, during the first six years of Pilate's reign, he possessed both military and civil powers due to the fact that there was no legate of Syria that had been appointed. Thus, Pilate was exercising his temporary civil authority when he was forced into considering the charges brought against Jesus. Like Caesar Tiberius, Pontius Pilate did not have fond feelings for the Jewish people. The first portion of his rule was characterized by a complete contempt for the Jewish religious scruples and customs. At the beginning of his his term, he attempted to have Roman standards brought into Jerusalem by night. These standards had pagan images on them, and the Jews considered their presence idolatry and spiritually polluting to their holy city. Pilate refused to remove them, and the Jews began to demonstrate. Pilate was about to kill the ringleaders of the demonstrators, but he relinquished and had the standards removed and took them to his headquarters by the sea at Caesarea. Soon afterwards, he stole money from the temple to pay for an aqueduct from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So you can see that Pilate really had no respect for the Jewish people. A large crowd appeared outside of his Caesarean fortress to protest his stealing of the money from the temple. And Pilate ordered his soldiers to dress like Jews, to infiltrate the crowd of demonstrators. And when the soldiers had successfully done so, they pulled out clubs from beneath their robes and began to beat the protesters, many of them to death. (laughs) Sounds so much like some of the drama that happens in in our home countries where people are impersonating rioters or impersonating one group in order to infiltrate another. Well, Pilate was not above doing that. A couple years later, he began minting coins that contained Roman uh, pagan symbols on one side. 
And in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there is a mentioning of Pilate mixing the blood of the temple sacrifices with that of Galileans he had murdered. Again, this was a desecration of Jewish worship as well as just a cruel act of brutality. With such a horrible record, it's amazing to witness the morality and the desire for justice when Jesus appears before Pilate. It's absolutely clear that Pilate thought Jesus to be an innocent man, undeserving of the death penalty that was being brought so aggressively by the Jewish authorities. Several times he attempted to save Jesus from the death penalty. And I'm perfectly convinced that under different circumstances, where there was less pressure on Pilate in order for him to maintain his power and position, he would have freed Jesus. Even though he wasn't a moral man, he recognized the righteousness of Jesus. But Pilate experienced a collision of kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And in the end, Pilate was far more concerned with maintaining his position and his power in this world than seeking the truth about Jesus Christ. Had he not felt his position was threatened, he might have defied the Jewish leaders one more time and followed his conscience and his convictions. So one must ask, if Pilate had been so willing to defy the Jewish authorities in the past, why was he unwilling to do so this time? Well, historians record that about six months before this, Pilate again attempted to decorate his Jerusalem residence with gold shields. But unlike the first time, this time they did not bear any pagan images, but they did bear inscriptions which promoted the worship of Caesar. King Herod Agrippa and the Jewish authorities formally protested this act directly to Tiberius Caesar. And Tiberius, wishing to maintain the submission of the Jews to the Roman authority, sent a blistering letter of rebuke to Pontius Pilate, ordering him to remove the shields to Caesarea and to uphold all the religious and political customs of his Jewish subjects. The message was clear. For Pilate to survive and to stay in power, he must not unnecessarily offend the Jewish ruling authorities or the people. Rome would be watching carefully to see how Pilate conducted himself. His rule would be under a magnifying glass. And it was on those conditions that the chief priests brought Jesus before him, knowing that Pilate's position was fragile. They had some leverage over Pilate that they used to achieve their evil aims. And they successfully threatened Pilate into submission to their will. As for the fate of Pilate himself, historians record that about six years after Jesus appeared before him, after the crucifixion, another individual claimed to be a prophet and led a large multitude of Samaritans out to Mount Gerizim where he promised to find some relics from the Ark of the Covenant. Thinking that the gathering was the beginning of an anti-Roman uprising, Pilate attacked the group with his cavalry and killed many of them. He was called to Rome to give an explanation to the extreme course of action that he had taken. But this time it was not in front of Tiberius Caesar, but rather 
in front of Caligula. And Caligula had no love or respect for Pilate. Pilate was stripped of his rank and in disgrace he was exiled to Gaul. The historian Eusebius records that in AD 37, distraught with the loss of his position, perhaps wrestling with his own conscience, Pontius Pilate committed suicide. Well, let's examine now with that background in mind of, of who Pilate was and the circumstances in which he ruled. Let's look at the biblical text. Let's look at John chapter 18. Beginning in verse 28, it says this, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Think about the irony that John exposes, the hypocrisy that we see in the priests. They're more than willing to put an innocent man to death, yet they're unwilling to become ceremonially unclean and possibly miss out on celebrating the Passover. Now remember, the Passover was a feast that recognized that God was our deliverer, that God would provide deliverance over, and the way that he would provide deliverance for people was through the shedding of blood. That something innocent would give up its life for that which was guilty. Well, the Jewish leaders were perfectly fine convicting and killing an innocent man, but there was no way they were going to miss out on the celebration feast. Look at verse 29. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, listen to this, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Pilate, very interestingly, tries to get out of the circumstance and tells the Jews to take Jesus and judge him according to their own law because clearly he's not broken any law of Rome. Pilate tried to avoid the trial completely. And in Matthew's account, we discover that during the trial, Pilate's wife, Claudia, sent word to her husband to not have anything to do with this righteous man, Jesus. And so God was reaching out to Pilate. He was expressing, even through a dream of his wife, so that he would recognize that Jesus was innocent. Pilate does his best to avoid having to pronounce judgment over Jesus. The Jews themselves may have pushed for crucifixion because in their minds, in their teaching, the most horrible type of death would be to be hung upon a tree. And that being hung upon a tree is not just hanging like from a noose. It is to be placed or nailed to a tree. And there's a curse in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, that talks about how it is cursed for a person to be hung upon a tree. But Galatians 3, verse 13 reveals that Jesus willingly took on that curse for us. He died that manner of death 
not only to fulfill prophecy and not only to fulfill his words in John 3.14 where he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He did it to take on the curse of sin that had plagued humanity since the very beginning, since the fall. Jesus was willing to take on the curse. You see, if he would have been judged under the Jews, they would have been able to stone him, but not crucify him. And the prophecy of Jesus' death and the manner of his death would not have been fulfilled. Now, what you see is that there's far more going on behind the scenes than what we see on the surface. There's a divine battle where Satan is seeking to destroy Jesus. But God is using the very sin and the corruption of humanity to show us grace. The injustice of man facilitates the good news of grace justice, of gospel justice, where Jesus stands in our place, where he took on the death that we deserved, where he lived the perfect life that we could never live on our own. That's the gospel justice. But there's also a human element that's at play here. Pilate was not just the governor. He was also a man, a human. A person who Jesus dearly loved. A man for whom Jesus would die. A man who had personally to decide what he would do with Jesus, not just as governor, but as an individual. How he would decide about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. So I want us to look here at Pilate's questions and Jesus' response. And I want us to see how Jesus is reaching out to him, even under the looming sentence of death that he knew was coming upon him. The heart of our Savior reaches out to a man who would have never walked into the door of a church, but a person that Jesus dearly loved. That's an important lesson for you and I. We need to ask the Lord to give us his heart, his love for others, because it is far different than our own. When you examine Jesus' one-on-one encounter with Pilate, we discover that what Jesus does is exactly what the scriptures reveal to us that the Holy Spirit does in our life. He brings conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of judgment. He's working in Pilate's life, inviting him to come into his kingdom. So let's look at Pilate's questions of Jesus. Well, the first question that we see that he, that he asks in response to the to what the Jews have brought before him, he asks the simple question, are you a king? Now he's asking that question because he's, he's trying to understand whether or not Jesus is a revolutionary. But Jesus answers and says this in John 18, 34. Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answers back, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So in answer to Pilate's question, Are you a king? Jesus is showing him 
that yes, he's a king, but not in the way that you think. There's nothing to fear concerning a challenge to the authority of Rome. Jesus wasn't political. In fact, one of the reasons perhaps why the crowd turns on him so quickly, remember the same crowd that was crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Sunday, on Friday morning are crying out, crucify him. A dramatic, dramatic change. But Jesus is trying to clarify the kind of king that he is. He says this in verse 37. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Think about that statement. Pilate, in thinking about that statement, responds simply by saying, What is truth? And after he had said that, He went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Jesus deals with Pilate first as a man he loves, and then he interacts with him as one who has authority, authority that's been given to him by heaven over Jesus' life. Pilate tries to set Jesus free, but fear keeps him from doing what is right and what is just. And so Pilate, in his attempts to come to terms with Jesus, he does some of the same things that we often do. You see, every person must decide how we're going to respond to Jesus Christ. He either is God or he isn't God. He either did die for our sins or he didn't. We will either choose to believe that and place our trust in who Jesus is and what he has done, or we'll choose to reject him. But in the process, what we often try to do is follow the exact same pattern that Pilate did. The first thing he tried to do was avoid the issue. He said in John 18, 31, take him to the Jews and judge him by your own law. He's doing his best just to avoid having to come to terms with who Jesus is. Then when that didn't work, we read later on in Luke chapter 23 that what Pilate does is he, again, tries to pass Jesus off, but this time he sends him to Herod. He sends him to another authority, doing his best to not have to come to a decision about Jesus. When that doesn't work, we discover that what Pilate tries next is he offers a trade. He tries to negotiate between the crowd and Jesus, and he offers up Barabbas, Barabbas, who was a revolutionary, who was a robber, who was guilty of the very crime that Jesus is being accused of, he offers Barabbas up in exchange for Jesus. But that doesn't get him out of making a decision about Jesus either. Pilate then offers a compromise. In John chapter 19, we discover that what Pilate does is that he scourges Jesus. This was the first step in a crucifixion. The scourging of Jesus was done by a a, a whip, a cat of nine tails, that had sewn into each of its lashes bits of metal, hooks, and bones that would tear into the flesh. And, And it wasn't a matter of how many lashes you got, 
The scourging was done when the victim's back was torn open, where the flesh was revealed. And oftentimes you could even see underneath the ribs and the organs being exposed because scourging was designed to be the first steps of an execution. It wasn't just a beating. The scourging that Jesus received was the first steps of his crucifixion, and it was incredibly brutal. But Pilate tries to appease the crowd and shows them Jesus after he's been beaten. And they've even mocked him. Remember I told you last week that that, um, the kiss of betrayal was the beginning of a demonic mockery, a reverse image of who Jesus truly is, where Satan is seeking to mock the coronation of Jesus. And he does so in this case, in the scourging, by having the Roman soldiers put a purple robe on Jesus, by beating down a crown of thorns upon his head, and by placing a scepter made out of a reed in his hands and mocking him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Well, Pilate allows Jesus to go through all that humiliation and brings him back out, hoping that will appease the crowd. But it doesn't work. And so his next step is that he simply says, take him yourselves and crucify him. He wasn't willing to pronounce him guilty, but he also wasn't willing to pronounce him innocent. He tried to compromise. And finally, what we discover in Matthew's account In chapter 27, verse 24 and 25, we discover that Pilate washed his hands, saying, it's not my problem. I want nothing to do with him. I am innocent of this man's blood. Pilate did everything he could to try to avoid making a decision about Jesus. But in the end, he rejected him. What about you? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Have you responded to him in faith? During this season of uncertainty, I believe that many people are having a hard time listening to the Lord. There's distractions all around us. Everything seems turned upside down. And and that tends to drown out the voice of the Lord. So let me remind you of some of the things Jesus is saying to each of us especially to those who already know him as Savior and as Lord. Remember, he's, he's saying that everyone who knows the truth hears my voice. He came to bear witness to the truth. Well, this morning as I was, I was studying, I read some reminders about the truth that Jesus wants to tell us. In fact, It's the gospel that he's inviting us to hear every single day. You see, the gospel is not just what we need to understand in order to have salvation. The good news of Jesus is that what he speaks to us in order for us to have life. And we need to hear the gospel every single day. We need to hear the good news of Jesus and remind ourselves of who he is and of who we are in him. So here are some truths that I believe the Lord wants to speak into our life today. They're the same truths that Jesus desired for Pilate to know as well. First of all, remember you're loved by God. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. He's proven his love. He loves you no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you think you've gone. God still loves you and is calling you to himself right now. Secondly, remember that in Jesus, you are forgiven and accepted and protected and strengthened and guided by God himself. When we place our trust in Jesus, we're forgiven. And we're not only forgiven, we become sons and daughters adopted into God's family. Those that he watches over, those that he promises to live with, those that he promises to strengthen and guide. Thirdly, remember the sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross. It not only saves us from sin, but it gives us life moment by moment. Also remember, especially during this season, we walk by faith and not by sight. For many people right now, what they see with their eyes is filled with confusion and fear. But we are to fix our eyes, not on the circumstances around us, not on the difficulties, but to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is working in our world. He's working in your life and in your family. And the things that look so dark right now may be the very things he uses to bring honor and glory to himself and to accomplish good in your life and in the lives of those you love. He to remember, we're not alone. And finally, the last good news that I want to challenge us with is to remember the incredible treasure of God's promises. If you're wrestling, if you're struggling right now with discouragement, with fear, with uncertainty, look for promises in God's word and hold on to those. Pray them back to the Lord. In there, you will find strength. You will find hope. And so from that, Jesus is speaking about truth to Pilate. He's speaking about his kingdom and he's inviting him to come into a relationship with Christ. But Pilate's only answer that he can give to Jesus is what is truth? He simply answers with a question and then he pronounces to the crowd and to the Jewish leaders, I find no guilt in him. But the question stirring in Pilate's heart, what is truth, is the question of a practical politician who attached no importance to the speculations of philosophers or the dreams of enthusiasts or followers of a religion. It was the truth that missed everything in communicating to Pilate's heart. Jesus was concerned about something far deeper. For Pilate, for the soldiers, for the Romans, truth was political power, Truth was being able to exercise authority over others. Truth was based on pride. But Jesus knew that Pilate was still seeking. There was still something missing in him. And that's why Pilate comes out and he says to the Jews, I find no guilt in him. You see, truth was not enough. We are all saved by faith. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. 
What is more, I think he believed Jesus was something more than just an ordinary man. But Pilate could not overcome his pride or his fear. And so Pilate caved in to the pressure. The last thing I want to show you is a powerful little statement that we see in John chapter 19. Let's read the passage, and then I want you to pay attention to the words, Behold the man. John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and arrayed him with a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. That phrase, behold the man, it means to be put on display. Here he is. I want you to look at him. His body had been brutally scourged. The crown of thorns had caused the blood to seep constantly down his face. Jesus was disfigured and deformed. He literally was a bloody mass that no one could stand to look upon, just as it says in Isaiah 53.3. Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator of everything, the giver of life, was willingly put on display. The king of the universe was humiliated, mocked, spat on, and despised. More than that, when he hung on the cross, he was completely naked. He bore our shame. The same kind of shame that we read about in the garden that after Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to cover up. They tried to clothe themselves because they understood their shame. But Pilate puts Jesus on display and says, behold the man, look at him. This is not the first time that the phrase behold the man has been used in the scripture. God himself used the exact same phrase in the Garden of Eden concerning Adam after he had sinned. Genesis chapter 3 verse 22 through 24 says this, Then the Lord God said, Behold the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. God said, Look at what humanity has made of itself. He was exploring and seeing our shame. It was on display. And out of mercy, God banished Adam and Eve so that they would not eat of the tree of life where their spiritual state would have been fixed forever. But behold, the man also is a statement that looks forward to their rescue, to their redemption. You see, there's one other reference in the scripture that says, behold, the man. It's found in the book of Zechariah in chapter 6, verse 12. And it says this, 
and say to him, thus says the Lord God of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Pilate said, behold the man referring to Jesus of Nazareth. Now the word Nazareth means branch. Jesus of Nazareth. God saves who comes from the branch. Behold, the man whose name is Branch, Zechariah said, will build the new temple. The temple where God dwells in the hearts of men and women. Remember the original charge brought against Jesus by the priests was a charge that the physical temple would be destroyed and that Jesus said he would rebuild the temple in three days. Now, Jesus wasn't referring to the temple in Jerusalem, but his own body was to be the temple that he would lay down for us. His own body was to become the way for us to get to God. His body would become the sacrifice. As a result, he will bear the glory. He will be the priest who makes intercession for us who stands in the gap between us and a holy, righteous God. But he is also the king. Behold the man. The first time it's used in the scripture, humanity's sin is put on display. Behold the man. The last time we see it, we see Jesus, the second Adam, who bore our sin in his own body and became the sacrifice, the priest, and the temple and will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the branch. He was put on display, humiliated, mocked, spat on, and crucified. He hung naked on a cross to cover your shame and my shame. Someone of you who are watching, maybe you you feel like you can't come to Christ because of the things you've done you're ashamed let me encourage you God knows everything about you he knows everything about me and he loves us anyway it's not shame that keeps us from Christ it is pride Jesus already bore your shame and my shame no matter what we've done no one could ever ever suffer more humiliation than what Jesus did for you and for me So would you trust him today? Would you be willing to call upon the name of Jesus and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to honor you. Please don't be like Pilate. Pilate had numerous opportunities to choose to do the right thing, to respond to Jesus, to put his trust in him. But Pilate chose the easier way or at least what seemed like an easier way. In the end, Pilate's refusal to come to terms with Jesus cost him everything. So what about you? Are you willing to trust Christ? What will you do with Jesus? Who do you believe he is? And how will you respond 
to what he has done? That's the most important question any of us can face, any of us can answer. And if we could pull back the veil and we could see what is going on all around us, we would discover that there is a very real battle between heaven and hell for your soul, for my soul. But it's a battle that Jesus Christ has won. The only thing that remains is whether or not you will choose to trust in what Jesus has done in his sacrifice for you and for me. Will you trust him today? If you have spiritual questions, I want to encourage you to write to us. We will do all that we can to come alongside of you, to answer the questions that you have, to strengthen you in your understanding of God's word, and to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. I pray that today you'll discover new life, that you'll trust Jesus Christ, you'll call upon his name and discover that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He is God in the flesh who out of love gave himself for you.